Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Civility. I'm Robert Daniel. I'm Sarthik Sharma. This week on the pod, we have a special guest, Kate Hicks, longtime friend of the pod. Welcome, Kate. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on the pod this week. Longtime listener, first time host. Happy to be here. This week on the pod, we'll be talking about, yes, you guessed it, James Comey, <laughs> but not just James Comey. We'll also be talking about other things as well international affairs, terrorist attacks, Sunni Shia divide, and all that and more on this week's episode of Pod Civility. So, Sarthik, why are we talking about James Comey again? This seems to be an everyday, every week I know, deal. I know. Our last episode was literally titled Comey, Comey, Comey. <laughs> As if you guys probably aren't already really tired of James Comey. It's, he's back. It's, he's back. And the thing is, we really, when we talked about what was going to be on this pod, because we've had a little bit of a hiatus over the last week and a half, just as our schedules uh, have not really aligned, but we're back, and we had really talked about talking about a lot of different topics, but James Comey just keeps rearing his head over and over again with new information, and so here we are with Comey. Uh, and what happened today with Comey? He was testifying in front of a Senate committee because he was fired and tangentially in relation to the Russia investigation. So he was brought forth to kind of give some clarity with regards to that and his interactions with Donald Trump. And maybe you guys have heard uh, some of the testimony from him. We have a couple of clips that I think are really noteworthy to break down. So here's, uh, here's the first one. And this one really kind of talks about the actual reason that he is there, at least in terms of Donald Trump, which is did his conversations with Donald Trump lead to Trump uh, obstructing justice, obstructing the investigation into him? And it's not a conclusion that... Comey really weighs in on heavily. He doesn't say, you know, for sure that Donald Trump obstructed justice. And this clip that we're about to show really centers on um, what would be potentially the um, the conversation that could be alleged to be obstruction of justice. Although, as you'll see in this clip, it's a little more complicated than that. I don't know well enough to answer. And the reason I keep saying his words is I took it as a direction. Right. I mean, as the president of the United States with me alone saying, I hope this, I took it as, this is what he wants me to do. Now, you, I, didn't, I didn't obey that, but that's the way I took it. You may have taken it as a direction, but that's not what he said. Correct. I, that's he what said, I said. He said, I hope. Those are exact words. Okay. Correct. You, you don't know of anyone that's ever been charged for hoping something. Is that a fair statement? I don't as I sit here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So he said a lot about hope. And uh, Robert, what, what did he mean by that? Well, I think... That conversation centered on a conversation in the Oval Office. Trump asked people to leave the room, and it it basically um, it wasn't just people, right? It wasn't correct. Just, it was just it was the Attorney General. It was um, Donald Trump's favorite son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Um, he asked them to clear the room, and then he said something to the effect that, as Comey um, makes clear in his statement, that. Um, Donald Trump hoped he could see his way to ending the Michael Flynn investigation. And so that conversation centers on the word hope as to how James Comey took it. Did he take it to mean, now I, you know, in a mob boss kind of way, twisting your arm, hope you can see your way to making this happen? Um, Kate, Kate, how would you take if someone said, I hope? What, what would you think? Look, I think that there's a, a definitely a level of kind of power that he's, he's enforcing. It's like an arm wrestling competition kind of a thing but he didn't say he wasn't being overtly threatening this isn't like a Michael Corleone kind of situation like he 
Donald Trump was making it clear what he wanted to happen, but he wasn't he wasn't imposing any kind of particular consequences. He wasn't saying, and I'm not trying to, I want to make this clear. I am hardly a Trump apologist. I am not a fan of the guy. I think he's a buffoon. But I do think... Coming from probably the most conservative <laughs> of us three. <laughs> 100% the most conservative of us three, but nonetheless, more of a centrist than anything. But I don't think that the statement, I hope you're, you'll reconsider this investigation or you know the, whatever the exact words were. Well, look, as an attorney, do you see this reaching obstruction of justice levels? I don't, no. Do you not see the intent here? You know, I think that obstruction of justice requires more than a statement to the guy in charge. You know, we're talking about the highest level of politicians here. And, you know, the president saying to the FBI director, you know, I really hope that you'll reconsider this, isn't, uh, I think that the perceiving it as a threat is really specific to maybe what people want to think about Trump. And like I said, I'm hardly the guy's biggest fan. I'm, I'm not a fan of him at all. But I also don't think that it's, um, it rises to the level of obstruction of justice. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton did his best to try to influence special investigators uh, during his administration as well. And while I hardly think that this is befitting of the highest office in the land, I also think there's a difference between, you know. But Bill Clinton, we, there's never an, uh, a situation where Bill Clinton was asking uh, people to leave the room so he could have a private conversation. <laughs> I think with, Monica Lewinsky well, would disagree. Well, sure, sure, <laughs> fair enough. But there wasn't a situation where he was asking this type of private interaction with an at-will employee that could be fired for not doing what and he also, wants done. Not only. Well, I agree. I just sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. It's just I am interrupting. So I think that <laughs> Comey's position. I agree with you in the, from the standpoint of he's he's at will, sure, but we were all, all three of us talked about how we were really shocked when he was fired from this job. That is, you know, some of us even referred to this as a constitutional crisis. You know, it was so unprecedented that I don't think that if I were James Comey and I were sitting in that room, I might think, well, gee, this is going to sure make for an awkward couple of years working in this job with this guy as president. But I wouldn't necessarily assume if I were him I'm going to get fired if I don't do exactly what this guy, quote, hopes, end quote, uh, I'll do for him. Well, well context is king um, because this conversation comes off the heels of Sally Yates going to the White House and telling the vice president. Georgia law grad, Sally Yates, just putting it out there. Let's go dogs. Hell of a lawyer. <laughs> and hell of a Telling dog. the president that Michael Flynn was under investigation. And so the timeline is important because that happens. Um, and then Comey is invited to the White House. Directly uh, after. D directly after for what is a private dinner. And then this is another meeting um, later where he says, it, I guess also it's important to, to keep in mind that Comey felt it was, it was, you know, felt he needed to make these contemporaneous memos, like detailing each and every um, conversation he had with the president. And that's something that is interesting um, because in his um, statement, he makes a point of highlighting the fact that he spoke with Donald Trump one-on-one -on -one a lot more than he had spoken with his predecessor, President Obama, or even George W. Bush. There's just not a common pattern of, um, of FBI directors speaking with the president in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, they operate with more autonomy than that, and, and people always are trying to avoid a J. Edgar-like you know, appearance where they're coming to the beck and call of Lyndon Johnson or whoever it may be, um, 
to, to do what it would be politically expedient for the president. But just because something is unprecedented doesn't make it rise to the level of illegality. Correct. And I think an important point is the, is the Paul Ryan defense for this. Paul Ryan had a press conference today and he says, listen, guys, Donald Trump, he's just a novice. He just doesn't know what he's doing, you know, which is actually. But he was supposed to have learned really quickly, right? Like he, he was supposed to have a plan for ISIS in 30 days. He was supposed to day one change everything. At some point, the saying that you're a novice doesn't work as much. It works on the campaign trail where you want to connect with every man. But when you're in office yeah. and you, can, you have the ability to surround yourself with experts of any sort, it becomes more difficult to just kind of chalk up whatever you're doing to just being a novice. I agree, and I, and I didn't particularly buy Paul Ryan's defense that, you know, listen, Donald, Trump, the only one. Donald Trump just doesn't know what he's doing, and that's why it's okay that he's contacted the FBI director for these one-on-one -on -one meetings. Well, and I will, yeah, I will say it's not comforting to hear the highest politicians in the land talking about how, well, our president just doesn't know what the heck he's doing, and that's why. Exactly. Unfortunately, that's no longer a good excuse uh, of any type of conduct that the president um, exhibits because he's now the president. He's no longer a candidate. It's one thing when a candidate has a misstep and you say, well, uh, you know, he's not a career politician. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, it's another thing when the president who's in charge of national security, who's in charge of, um, you know, maintaining an economy that grows, um, continues to just do these things. And we highlighted them in our previous pod where he's giving away classified information in the Oval Office. And, and he may... Which he can technically do. Correct. He, he does. Let's make that And also, clear. you know, while we're on that, we should say, you know, there's nothing illegal about him calling James Comey. Right. And, and I he, think... It, that's not a law that he's broken. It, it is certainly unethical. It certainly presents a bad, you know, appearance. Um, it seems like it could easily grow into you know him trying to twist James Comey's arm to do his bidding type of relationship which James Comey I think outlines in his testimony that he feared happening well isn't that the crux of the debate that's going on right now between Republicans and, and Democrats which is you have Democrats you have outlets like CNN posting you know Comey bombshell or Comey drops bombshell headline in the largest font humanly imaginable on their... Well, people want this the, to blow up. Right. People are... I think majority of the country is tired of all of this. They just want the smoking gun to be found. They want it to be done. And they want at least, you know, whether... Regardless of whether it's a more conservative person who would replace him, I just feel like most people want it... Want, they want peace of mind. They just want it to be over. Uh, I'd be happy with Mike Pence taking over. Not that I'm his biggest fan, but he's better than Trump. Testimony. It, I think it depends on where you fall on partisan lines, right? If you're a Democrat, this... You are kind of taking the gun and placing it in the room. Like, you want this to be the smoking gun... And if you're a Republican, you just see this as another attempt by the Democrats to try to paint a new novice, everyman president yeah. as someone that is willfully doing these illegal things. Uh, yeah. But I think that there's a bit of a hitch in that theory, and that is that look at what happened with the Clinton investigation. The Democrats did their damnedest to try to quash that. And... What I think is clear out of everything that T Comey has testified to and that he's said in, in the you know weeks since he's been fired is nobody comes out alive of this. Like, I don't think anybody, the Democrats or the Republicans, have room to stand on here when talking about the moral high ground. You know, there, there is nobody, everybody is doing their best to, you know, quote unquote, obstruct justice, you know? The Democrats, according to Comey's testimony, kind of 
were trying to to get in the way of his investigation of um, Hillary Clinton and her her email uh, you know scandal issue for lack of a better term but you know at the same time of course the Republicans were trying to get him to quiet down the the Trump investigation with Russia and I think that you know that this isn't necessarily a particularly partisan issue this is this just shows that our our nonpartisan watchdog entities in this country are sort of under attack by by our our very virulently disagreeable party system and you know Comey I don't necessarily think he I think he's he's got his agenda but I think that his testimony really shows that when people want something from him when people want the FBI to do or not do something that benefits their political agenda they have no problem going after him and trying to influence him and I think that what makes Trump's situation so much more egregious is that he's the president and I think rightly so we in this country expect our president to exhibit a level of decorum that Donald Trump is woefully lacking but I think a lot of us pretty much left that train at the station well for sure I mean unquestionably any president whose tweets are national news I mean that's appalling to me but in some ways um, you know Donald Trump's lack of decorum was was sold and we bought it as advertised um, you know, Hashtag access Hollywood. I yeah, mean, that's we, what he got. He there, got elected there, as being an no, outsider. There's no excuse. Um, you know, out of all the things he's done, you know, he's been consistently um, the same on Twitter and consistently the same with regards to his approach. Um, you know, using and it hasn't helped. It, it over the last six months, it hasn't helped. His approval rating is at the lowest that it's ever been. I think with the Comey hearing, it's gone down to 34 percent. Yeah, and I, and I think that I, don't, I think you'll see that continue because I think the one thing that happens when you get a special prosecutor appointed um, is you're guaranteed something that's going to last a long time. Um, well, but that shouldn't be surprising though, about with respect to his approval ratings. I mean, you look at the the primary uh, results, and he never really won a majority. He won a plurality. Like you had so many people in unless there you that ask was, him. Well, no, won. but but no, but let's not ask him. Kate, He's a moron. You're, you're clearly not remembering the thousands of people that you know <laughs> voted for him that didn't count. Um, but so. he did. I want to go on record as saying I voted for Gary Johnson. Here's so. the thing: <laughs> he did win where it mattered. Right? You can yeah. still make those, and, and I don't think we need to relitigate. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 and I'm not trying to do that. But the the point here is that you know the even the though he ratings, does himself bring up the election on an almost daily basis, right? Like every fifth or sixth tweet usually has something about winning the election. So if, well, if the Republicans well, want us, your quiver. Yeah, I mean, if the Republicans want Democrats to stop uh, talking about the election they lost, the Democrats want the Republicans to stop. It, it just, at some point, you have to move on. And here, with the Comey hearings, like at some point, if the Democrats don't find a smoking gun, like where does that leave them? Well, I mean, I think Donald Trump even... It, and this is from Comey's testimony, describes the Russian investigation as a cloud. And regardless of whether it is true or it is false, regardless of whether this ends um, you know, in an impeachment for obstruction of justice or for collusion with the Russians, or if this is a complete, um, closer, something closer to or more akin to a witch hunt um, or fake news, as Donald Trump would describe it, regardless of where it falls on those spectrums, um, it has completely derailed his ability to govern. Well, at this point, what little then, ability he might have had. So at this point, then, agree, because if he is losing his ability to govern, that's not good for the American people. That's no. not good for our standing no. in the world. So then it begs the question: Should we just? 
put a pause on all of this investigation until Robert Mueller finishes as as special counsel his investigation. I go back and forth on that, and in terms of where I fall on the answer to that question, I know what will actually happen, though, is 100% no. We will not take a step back and allow um, Robert Mueller to do his job and come up with a finding that he then um, relays to And isn't that on the Democrats at the yes, end of the day? Yes, like, That's on the Democrats. That's on the Democrats. Right, like Maybe sometimes on this podcast, it does sound like we lean a little bit towards the Democratic view. A lot of that, I think, is more <laughs> that we're befuddled sometimes of the decisions that Donald Trump makes. So maybe that gets kind of thrown into the Democratic lot. But there have been times over this past year, or well, over this past six months, where it is really disheartening to see some of the political moves, yes, played by the Republican Party, but also the Democratic Party. This is one of them, right? Like the Democratic Party seems like they're trying to hijack this whole investigation when they themselves wanted they were pressing so much to have a special investigator appointed and then as soon as he's in, uh, appointed there they go they're still trying to do their own side parallel investigation and i think there's a there's a you know again i'm torn on this issue because i think there's some merit to having side investigations with the senate intelligence committee or the house intelligence committee um, because you know their findings are made more public um, their you know hearings like today are oftentimes in the public view which is good to allow people to have an explanation whereas Bob Mueller's interviews are going to be in private his conclusions are going to be in private unless they're made public through charges but what's uh, there's a dark side to that too if we make every small finding that really isn't a huge deal public, it's going to be, you know, they're going to spin it into a huge deal. I agree. I agree. And we're seeing that when CNN has a countdown clock for Comey's testimony three days. Well, fair. That. I mean, CNN has a countdown clock basically every event that happens. And we're we're trying to get a CNN countdown clock for possibility. But well, we just, frankly, it, it wouldn't really matter anyway because how many people watch CNN these days anyway? But A, a lot. More than <laughs> more than what watch Fox now. Right? Like um, MSNBC so is taking off. Yeah, MSNBC is actually leading the primetime news slot. Mm -hmm. Uh, CNN is in second place. And what world okay, are we in? Well, so I don't always like correlation definitely does not equal causation all the time. But as Donald Trump's approval ratings have gone down, MSNBC's viewership has increased. Rachel Maddow, despite the ridiculousness of that tax reveal party that she had, Unreal. where she revealed it. You know, I do want to say something about uh, about MSNBC viewership. So when I, in my days in DC, um, when I was working in, in political journalism. We all had televisions at our desk, and most of us had MSNBC on all day because, of course, I was I was coming from the conservative perspective, and so we wanted to know. Were you just peering into the enemy camp? Pretty much. We wanted to know we were going behind enemy lines. We wanted to know what the other side was saying. And so, you know, I think there's a degree to which people kind of crave, well, I'd like to believe this is true, but people kind of crave the, the opposite view sometimes to keep their own... Uh, position in check. I'll occasionally watch Fox News just to see, yeah, you hey, uh, you what's going on over well, there? I'll take what a peek that? behind exactly. the curtain sometimes. Hey, sure. what's uh... And the, Fox News has a couple of really good journalists. Like, they have Absolutely. people that are on there and giving, like, legitimately solid uh, news and good, you know, just good journalism. Uh, Shep Smith, I think, comes to mind instantly. And I, and He's I a watch, silly little ragdoll. And I watch Fox News because... You know, I want to know what the president's going to tweet before the president tweets it. Right. What I, what I won't watch, I'm not going to watch Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends is the worst show on Fox News. And you know who watches Fox and Friends? Donald J. Trump. And that, is the, most, that is the most civil mothers. way that we could probably put that. 
on this podcast. I would it agree. is a war. That's I just package that in a very civil way. So to wrap this up, where <laughs> is the Comey uh, investigation going? Where do you think it's going? So I, I think there are more shoes to drop. Uh, I, I think there will be more. Um, hearings that are going to be hyped up, whether they produce results or not, I don't know. Again, this is going to be a long, drawn-out process. As of right now, as you saw in that clip, um, the president saying he hopes that James Comey does something, that's not going to be enough. I agree. Um, it's not even close to enough, to be honest. It's going to take something much more because, again, impeachment is less a legal proceeding and more a political proceeding. It needs to be something that is so obvious that it moves congressional Republicans uh, to act. And if it is something abstract, if it is hard to form the requisite intent that is required for an obstruction of justice charge, you know, and asking people to leave the room is not going to do it either. Um, that's not going to be enough for congressional Republicans to rally behind an impeachment. Um, now, his, his decreasing poll numbers are likely to lead to congressional losses in the next midterm. And that stays. might be— And that is probably the most significant mm-hmm. thing um, to, to take away from this cloud, as Donald Trump described it. That's a good reason, I think, for the Democrats to keep their parallel investigation going in perpetuity is because— if they can drag this out for another few months or even up to another year where new, quote, revelations come out that aren't really revelations, but they can be maximized to be that and really hurt uh, in these congressional races, you're seeing it with uh, what what might be happening with John Ossoff uh, here coming up in in Georgia's special election, which is a very deep, deep red uh, district. And that swing to blue might be going on will be going on all across the country. And, and as we just highlighted, obviously, with Rachel Maddow, Maddow checking in at you know the number one in primetime news, I think that um, is indicative of maybe uh, more uh, zeal on the left um, with regards to the current political climate, uh, more movement in the progressive side. So I think that is a good wrap-up on some of the domestic <laughs> things that are going on. Um, but well, it's not all about America. While you were watching the CNN countdown clock, other things Big were happening. You. Other things were happening, folks. You might have missed it. <laughs> there are other countries in the world. James Comey is not king of the world, okay? They, while, no, while Donald the, Trump is. While the news coverage would suggest that, and Donald Trump would tweet tweet it, <laughs> he's not the king of the world. Other things have been going on, and Donald Trump's tweets have actually impacted those other things as well. And some of those things have been absolutely terrible. Uh, we've had yeah. a couple of just awful uh, terrorist attacks that have uh, occurred over the past week particularly um, two attacks in England. Um, There was a suicide bomber in Manchester at an Ariana Grande concert that um, obviously this happened, I believe, a week and a half ago or so. Um, So we're we're a little late in terms of discussing it. But um, more recently, there was a a truck attack on um, a bridge in London and a knife attack in London as well. Um, And these were all English nationals. Um, who committed these attacks, and it's important to note that uh, England is voting. Um, As we record this episode, um, they have voted earlier today um, on June 8th, and, you know, sometimes these attacks, I think, can be structured to impart a larger amount of fear than they deserve, and particularly when they come um, right next to uh, national events like elections. Which, I I do want to say this as an aside, Uh, as you guys are listening to this, there is a lot made about Britain and its ability to stop terror. It's really important to understand when that terrorism occurs due to people that already live in your country, mm-hmm. that are citizens in your country, yeah. it's very difficult 
to be able to root that out. Domestic homegrown terrorism is largely very difficult, if not impossible, to tell when it's going to happen. And just as a kudos to the British authorities, from the time that these stabbings, uh, this attack occurred, to when uh, these terrorists were finally shot and put down, it was eight minutes. Eight yeah. minutes was the time frame. So, you know, we, I want to make sure that as we're continuing this and as you're listening, you remember that law enforcement did pretty much everything they could to, to stop this, uh, but you can't always stop it. And it's important to understand what the root of it is. Uh, and I want to, maybe this sounds a little bit disjointed, but I want to actually t- travel back in time a little bit to Donald Trump's speech that he gave in Saudi Arabia on his trip. And one thing that really uh, stuck out to me in that speech, which is that he talked about these uh, these terrorists as being evil losers, and that we were going to drive them out out of this world. Oh, the eloquence! And, right, and it's fine. You can you know, if you want to play semantics, play semantics. But the way he talked about them made them seem like they were aliens. Right, we're going to drive them away from this world. It was like an Independence Day speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to remember terrorists are not aliens like they're not people from another country they are someone that could be living right next to you and i don't mean to say that to instill fear but it's important to understand that terrorism is a very nuanced idea and a subject that needs more than 140 characters to talk about particularly um when you're talking about domestic terrorism and Maybe if you go back in time even further, you see terrorism on more ideological boundaries where you had organized terrorist groups. Now we have these lone wolves or homegrown cells who've learned how to create terror through a PDF that they downloaded on a forum that they accessed on a you know on a device that couldn't be hacked by. And travel bans don't stop that. And travel bans don't stop that exactly. And, you know that requires. I mean, it's the age old. Um, phrase that's been said ever since you know 9-11 they have to be right once we have to be right every time Um, and it's difficult to be right every time when you're enforcing them but what is frustrating and incredibly frustrating when you think about it is that these attacks while terrifying horrifying are given so much media coverage that they just propel domestic terrorists further because what they want to achieve is people having a disproportionate amount of fear to the actual acts that they can accomplish. Well, and, and the other thing that's just insane about stuff like this is that ISIS is able to come in and say, yep, this was us, we, we claim responsibility. And they might never have had any contact with these nut jobs that are setting off nail bombs outside of a, a children's concert, you know? And like the, the, the tension here that, that really strikes me every time I see one of these things where people are, you know, up in arms about immigration and whatnot is, to, to both of y'all's point, the the whole uh, thing with domestic terrorists is it's really, it is really hard to catch them unless unless we're allowing the NSA to do all the stuff that everybody's getting up in arms about. Or, and, and here's an idea, we could work with the Muslim communities that are here yeah. and that this, could help root that out. And, yeah. and this, I think, is, is the biggest takeaway point because in response to some of the, the terror attacks in England, uh, past two weeks you know donald trump doubled down on his travel bans in his twitter that's the worst idea and the fact is a that it's simply not effective as advertised um and it is it misses and it is such um an encapsulation of the large problem that is the donald trump administration with regards to actually solving a problem that we face well it's all talk and no effect exactly donald trump just wants to win 
on on style and not actually move the needle on policy. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a square uh, it's a square peg in a round hole, right? Like the travel ban would not have won. It so an attack that happened in the U.S. like the Pulse nightclub shooting, the travel ban would not have stopped. No. That. The San Bernardino shooting, the travel ban would not have stopped that, right? Like these travel bans, or the travel ban doesn't stop homegrown terrorism and that is the majority source of terrorism and the other majority source the biggest attack in the u.s was perpetrated by people that were mostly from saudi arabia a country we just signed a 110 billion dollar arms deal with billion dollar arms deal and it's also too important to note if we were serious about this we might have a president that calls saudi arabia out as being the largest exporter of wahhabism which is extremist yes. muslim ideology i mean that's where that's where the bin laden family is from they have been funding al-qaeda for decades now not only that but the a large number of the of the individuals that have gone on to support ISIS in different countries have come out of Saudi Arabia. They are the number one funder and you know indirect offender of terrorism if you want to ascribe a state sponsor to that stuff. It's not coming from places like Iraq and Iran where you know the government isn't even organized enough to be able to mount some kind of serious terroristic front. And here's the, the other thing, right? We're in the Middle East talking about, um, about dictators and about state sponsors of terrorism and we are so focused on Iran, which has definitely a rocky past, and it has uh, in the past given money to organizations that the United States label as terrorist organizations, but that is one of the few countries in the Middle East that actually just had a democratic election where people voted, exactly. right, yeah. as opposed to Saudi Arabia. And where people voted for a moderate voice that won on the popularity of the fact that he conducted a deal with the West that opened up their economy. You know, that's why Rouhani won that election again. And also, you know, while we're talking about um, Iran, it's important to note that they were also the victim of the terrorist attack. Right. Week. I think a lot of times I see this happen on Facebook and Twitter all the time where when you have an attack, it, any attack is bad. When you have an attack in a Western country, you see the hashtags, you know, pray you for see Paris, the profile pray pictures for London, change. And you should absolutely agree. You should absolutely pray for those cities. But there's never a pray for Tehran uh, yeah. type. Of, there's never I never see a pray for Kabul in. And in fact, and there was an, there was an attack in Kabul not too long ago as well. In fact, um, in the president's statement after the attack in Iran, he even cited the fact that they're a state sponsor of terrorism, um, which has just kind of been a symbol of what's been a larger ongoing debate with regards to the, this Trump presidency post his visit to the Middle East, um, where he um, endorsed Saudi Arabia and, and I, in some ways kind of um, emboldened them um, to take action in their um, neck of the woods. Right, well, and if you... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, Iran is such low-hanging fruit, too. Like, the... the It's so easy to say that a country that is run by a madman the way they are with, with the Ayatollah and everything is a state sponsor of terrorism because they're persecuting their people and obviously, you know, they, they kidnap foreign hikers for being spies and whatnot, but... I think less a, these days. Less, a little bit to, less. To, be, is, to be sure, they've moderated a, a little bit for sure. And you can you can be mad at Iran's policies. A lot of them are not helpful to the Middle East. Right, pursuing a nuclear strategy is not helpful to yeah. bringing peace in the Middle East. And it's also just generally bad for the world. Right. Funding Hamas and Hezbollah. Funding uh, Hamas and great. Hezbollah. Not great. not great ideas. But at the end of the day, we should blame them for things that are blameworthy. But we shouldn't blame them for things that they really 
don't care about or don't are on the opposite side yeah. of. An example of that is ISIS, right? Yeah. So Donald Trump uh, very much blames Iran for the rise of ISIS. If you hate ISIS, like basically pretty much everybody in this world, that's great. <laughs> don't hate Iran because of ISIS. Yeah. Because they are diametrically opposed, yeah. right? Like if that's like the Bloods giving money to the Crips to kill the Bloods. Like it yeah. doesn't make any it sense. It doesn't make any sense. And also, while you were only paying attention to James Comey today, the United States bombed an Iranian-led convoy in Syria. Um, you didn't hear about that, obviously, but that's something that we did. And it's kind of interesting to see how we've had in the past week this turn of sorts. Um, the, the Obama administration was chided oftentimes for kind of a turn towards Iran. Um, and what's the, the, I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second, but there's right. a unique aspect to Iran that's different than other countries in the Middle East, particularly Saudi Arabia, which we seem to have bought into the either either Saudi Arabia's camp or this, the uh, Iran camp, which neatly divides on the Sunni-Shia divide as well. But Iran is different than a lot of other Muslim countries in the Middle East because um, the elites in Iran are more, um, they're more hardliners than the masses. The masses um, are more educated, they're younger, they're voting in these elections. Um, and obviously Iran is an overwhelmingly Shia country, and that's an important thing to keep in mind. Because and, ISIS is mainly Sunni. Exactly. Um, and Saudi Arabia is one of your larger Sunni countries in the Middle East, certainly one of your more powerful ones that, that Donald Trump just brokered a deal with. Um, and in that country, the masses are anti-West um, in large degree. Now, we're speaking in generality. As are, so, a lot, as are a lot of their cultural policies. Exactly. But their elites are more pro-West. Think that the fact that Saudi Arabian kings and princes would come hang out on George W. Bush's ranch. They'll make foreign... They'll make deals with Donald Trump to get F-16s and all the types of weapons well, they the need. Well, the same way as, like, China is trying to open up their economy because it's better for... better for the people. You know, the the, the people who are at the top in countries like Iran recognize that the West has some stuff to offer from the standpoint of, you know, economic freedom and prosperity, and they're we, not we necessarily opposed to that. We definitely see that with a lot of countries. I think one of the issues in the Middle East uh, with those countries is that the entire region is such a tinderbox. Exactly. Well, and it's a theocracy, too, and there's more, there's a little bit more of a moral dilemma for a lot of people out there, it seems, that and one of the things that happened that was interesting this week was with regards to Qatar, um, there was several countries, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, um, Bahrain. Uh, Bahrain, ganging up on Qatar. They're all members of the Gulf Coast um Group or alliance, I can't remember this. Not the words. not the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Not the Mississippi Gulf Coast. <laughs> no. 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 Um, um, but yeah, so these countries, if you look at it on a map, it might be a little bit tough to locate at first. But right there, Middle East, Persian Gulf, uh, Qatar is pretty much surrounded by these countries yeah. that have, uh, for lack of a better word, blockaded them. Right, like by cutting cutting all ties, they have essentially blockaded. They can't fly over in the airspace in those countries. They can't use the ports in those countries. Uh, even even some countries that really aren't, that have nothing to do with Qatar, like the Maldives and Libya have you know, jumped onto that bandwagon, and that wagon is being led by Saudi Arabia. And the reason they're leading this wagon, the reason they've ganged up against Qatar is because Qatar is a little different than other members of that Gulf Coast group in the sense that Qatar is still um, supporting 
Iran still supporting the Shia majority country. Um, and so they, possibly emboldened after Donald Trump's visit, uh, where Donald Trump uh, kind of said, you know, you run your house, I run my house. We're not here to lecture. We're not here to lecture you. Um, well, we should be there to lecture them when they do stupid things. Okay? Instead, we lectured our allies in Europe. Exactly. Inst instead, we, we, we came with a check and we expected the NATO countries to sign it. Um, but regardless, there seems to be a growing sectarian divide. There's always been a sectarian divide in, in um, the Middle East and always been a Sunni-Shia divide. But with the attacks in Iran, the terrorist attacks, they occurred on two, um, they occurred on a Shia um, shrine um, and they occurred on parliament in Iran. They, they were more symbolic than they were deadly. Even though people did die, and that was really sad, uh, Iran's Revolutionary Guard, which by no means is an organization that you should completely believe, absolutely anything they say, Let's take not with a, them, yeah. Well, anything they say, take with a grain of salt. But they laid the blame on, on Saudi Arabia, on Saudi Arabia, on funding for Saudi Arabia. Exactly. So you have Iran that undergoes a terrorist attack, victim of one. They are blaming Saudi Arabia for whether that's true. Um, Qatar then has this row with Saudi Arabia and some of the other countries around it where Qatar now has lost a lot of uh, its clout in terms of just being able to get out of the country. Right? Qatari nationals have to go back to the, the country. They have to leave uh, Saudi Arabia and these other, uh, other places. Well, and what I think is really, really fascinating about the situation is where it puts the United States because we're between a rock and a hard place now. We've already made this deal. Well, we made our bed. We're, well, we picked, uh, we not, picked the rock. That's not necessarily true because we have the, 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 the headquarters of, of the forward command center for U.S. CENTCOM for the Middle East is in Qatar. Right. And so we have this massive military base in Qatar, but then on the other hand, we've just made this $11 billion deal with Saudi Arabia. $110 billion well, deal. Well, and, and, oh, I, I read that wrong then when I read that. That's and, a and it's important New York Times to, cited it wrong. It's important to note that, you know, this is not going to, to delve into World War III just quite yet. No. Wars in the Middle East are fought by other individuals. They're fought by subgroups. They're fought in proxy. proxy. Nobody fights a real war in the Middle East. They have other groups do it for them. Um, and so I think you'll just continue to see that. Um, unfortunately, you're probably likely to see, you know, Hamas and Hezbollah take action on behalf of Iran um, in certain areas. But yeah. these proxy wars are what prop up organizations like ISIS. Exactly. Right? It gives them a reason to be, to well, be able ISIS to just go. ISIS is a proxy war. Right. And, well, ISIS has, I think it's grown out of a proxy war into a more major situation because they have been able to leave their region, or at least their influence has, has left that region. And as long as, right, we're making uh, great head, uh, headway into uh, destroying a lot of the uh, areas that ISIS holds, right? The Iraqi military has been cl uh, closing in. The Battle of Mosul is going on right now. You know, we've just taken, uh, I think uh, U.S. Uh, Iraqi forces have just taken a dam near uh, Raqqa. Um, so a lot of, uh, or excuse me, Syrian uh, forces have just taken a, a damn near Raqqa. A lot of uh, work is being put towards destroying ISIS, but as we start funneling more money into these countries that have been known to have links to these organizations, you have to wonder what the future holds. Yeah, and every time you hear someone say, 
you know, the Iran deal gave a, a great deal of money to Iran, which it did, and Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism, which it is. Um, it's important to also realize the double standard, that when we make these arms deals with Saudi Arabia, wealthy Saudi princes and wealthy members of the Saudi family are funneling money into terrorist organizations, into Wahhabism schools in Saudi Arabia. And Ferrari. And, and, I and, and also Ferrari. They're also buying Ferraris. Right. Let's, They're let's also not buying leave Well, but, you know, of course, Ferraris that if I were there, I could not drive. So, of course, I have a problem with Saudi Arabia because there are a lot of really basic rights that I enjoy as an American woman that would not be available to me in Saudi Arabia. Yes, and as Donald Trump said, we're not there to lecture them. Although I think everyone listening to this pod would agree that women should be able to drive a car. I think so too, but of course what's so funny about that is I think Obama I don't know if Donald Trump listens to our podcast. He may not agree. That's well, true. you know, he probably has somebody in his media department doing this because I'm pretty sure that's the largest office in the White House, but... You know, what, what's so funny about that comment is, you know, when Obama was president, everybody was up in arms about the times when he would say, well, we're not here to, le essentially saying we're not here to lecture and was trying to, you know, demonstrate some respect. And now Donald Trump is saying the same things and it's like the opposite side. You know, Which I have my own problems with President Obama's foreign policy. But he didn't know, I don't think there was ever a situation where he just embarrassed the United States or, or went off lecturing to other countries. I think it was a relative situation there. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the the big takeaway is that, you know, we started with Comey, and that's where a lot of the news ends. Um, now, certainly, Which is sad. Certainly, obviously, the Manchester attacks and the attacks in London got a ton of coverage. Um, the Iran attacks, less so. Um, the Qatar controversy, even less so. Um, is that... Is that is that to do with the seriousness of the situation or just the way our new cycle works, right? I got two it, words for you, my friend. Ariana Grande. I mean, certainly the fact that that concert occurred at a pop star um, like Ariana Grande's, um, you know, concert in a huge city like Manchester was the reason that got a lot of coverage. Um, it was also because anytime there's a suicide attack in a Western country, that seems to prompt a lot of coverage because then there's an immediate question that follows, who made the bomb? The bomb maker never blows himself up because he has the skills to make the bomb. This could have been a rare instance where, you know, the PDF that told him how to make the bomb was indeed actually very good. Um, and he was able to, to learn and build and make it and blow himself up and, and, and there was no bomb maker, but there's always that... Um, media frenzy after an attack because they know there's that man. And the whole thing has been going into the weeds, right? Like there's a 24 hour news cycle and they delve into the weeds of a lot of these situations. But a lot of times what it is is speculation because we don't have, like exactly. speculation drives 23.5 hours of the day. Exactly. And it drives, I mean, when they cover these things, you just see the same B-roll footage. Somebody was taking a, a video with their cell phone and CNN just rolls with that. Um, and it's gotten it's gotten even less so uh, interesting because what's happening now is that organizations like CNN, Fox, MSNBC are just bringing the same people back on that are really embedded in the uh, political viewpoint that they're being paid to represent. Yeah. So there's no movement, right? Like you see Jeffrey Lord, for example, coming on CNN. Not a friend of the pod. Not, not a friend of the pod. <laughs> Uh, nice guy, I'm sure. But like, terrible name. Why is his name Jeffrey Lord? It's fine. We don't. We he, don't. My name is Sarthik Sharma. I'm not complaining about the name. Okay, well, I'll, my I'll last complain. name is Hicks. I mean, I, I got okay. called Hickapotamus okay. as a kid. That's terrible. Right. So, well, so Jeffrey Lord comes on, and the thing is, I know that I don't care that CNN. This is just filler material for me in the morning because I know for a fact that Jeffrey Lord will defend 
anything that Donald Trump does. I mean, anything. Literally anything. You had Anderson Cooper, who actually said that uh, Jeffrey, if Donald Trump, um, if he took a dump on the Oval Office desk, that Jeffrey Lord would uh, defend him. And all Jeffrey Lord could do is just laugh about it because he knew it was he knows, true. Because he knows right? it's and, true. And people made Anderson Cooper apologize for that gaffe as if it was the most ridiculous thing anyone yeah, has ever heard. Yeah, exactly. As if, you know... But that's what it is. Like, we can't have a conversation because there's no in-between. There's no civility. Uh, and that's why you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, folks, because you have a natural no yearning for that middle ground. I'm never going to hear... I'm never going to hear um, most anyone on these network shows say, oh, no, yeah, I see your point. I, I get what you're saying. Well, that that's never not happens. what they get paid for, you know? And the... that's part of the problem, though. Kate is 100% right. They don't get paid for that. But also, we, you know, as people who consume that are affected by it. They, they are just cashing a check each night. Jeffrey Lord, you know, if Donald Trump, you know takes a dump on the Oval Office desk, Jeffrey Lord's going to talk about how it's great fertilizer and how it's going to grow something, you know, bigger than what it was before. Like, people, well, people get mad uh, that other folks, the, the working class, the middle class, isn't more objectively informed. But if you think about it, how many people that are, you know, like a, a, a dad or mom of five kids or four kids has a full-time job, is busy doing things, how many of them are going online to The Economist or to Foreign Policy Magazine and, and thumbing through and reading that. No, you have an easy source of media. So a lot of this, Comey, the foreign affairs issues that are going around, and the simplistic viewpoints that everyone takes towards these issues go back to the fact that the mainstream media, the MSM, right, they are simplistic in their approach. It's well, like they skipped Lord, over you're, college. you're getting into my territory here because, you know, the job that I had before going to law school and, of course, entering the, this noble profession of being an attorney, um, I was a political journalist for a couple of years in Washington, D.C., and I had to do a lot of things I was deeply uncomfortable with because the media has become a commodity and it's monetized and we're, it's entertainment yeah it is it is entertainment it's infotainment if you will and which, which is i'm sorry to interrupt but no but go for to, it to make the point donald trump doesn't help that no not at all donald he trump, helps that donald trump feeds that oh my god we had specific categories where there were certain people or topics that were red meat and we had to post one or two or however many stories a day because those were guaranteed clickbait. You this know, is I insider write... information that you don't normally get <laughs> anywhere else. That you this is a this is a glimpse into another world. That's why Kate Hicks was brought on the pod tonight, guys. <laughs> I'm glad to be contributing. Um, we don't have that in possibility, we, we, by the way. There's no required posting. There's no required topics. This is. Very... I have I have edited Wikipedia a few times, so that that's about as much depth <laughs> as I could provide into journalism. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I mean, if you Google my name, I think the first thing that comes up is my my page on my firm, but the second thing that comes up is um, you know the stuff that I wrote for Town Hall, and you know when I was there, it was like anything that involved Sarah Palin. Anything Look, that criticized Emma, well, I'll, I'll take her back. I'll, I'll, I'll take her over Steve Bannon. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's I, true. That's true. Let, Come wait, back, let's Sarah. play a game. Let's play a game. Sarah Palin or Steve Bannon? Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. This, I don't like this game. I, I'm gonna. <laughs> Sarah like, Palin or Jared Kushner? Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. <laughs> I, at least though, and and here's the thing. At least Sarah Palin doesn't have ideas of being able to single-handedly bring about Middle East peace. No, but she can see Russia from her house. And Which is fine. I don't. I have no. She like, never said that. She can, didn't. I want to make clear that I know that that was a Saturday. We have, we have really gotten off the, the way wagon off. here. We're really way off. Way off. The big we takeaways. Are. The big big takeaways. 
the Russian cloud still still hangs. It's preventing and feeding, uh, preventing you from a, from getting real news, and feeding a mainstream media frenzy um, with countdown clocks is to further testimony. And I just um, want to say shout out to Mitt Romney for recognizing that back in 2012. Yeah, but also not shout out for Mitt Romney to go groveling to Donald Trump. When no, he that's won. true, but I can't. You help don't it. go eat I lobster. I am the conservative voice on this podcast right now. I gotta defend my guy when I can. Well, first of all, Mitt Romney could have run for president. Second of all, for the third time, there's yes. no dignity in that. Oh. We elected Donald Trump. There was no dignity in the lobster <laughs> dinner either, but yeah. here we are. Second of oh, all, when you, when you make a speech accusing someone of being you know, a complete showboat and salesman selling you, you not know, snake oil, not civil, you don't go have a nice lobster steak dinner with him. You just say, I'm done, okay? Robert, fair enough. We are almost done, but there is definitely... One very special woman I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to. We, we, we can't not mention we her. We can't not mention her. <laughs> first, and first of all, before we, even, before we even get in, I have to say, when I first heard of her, I thought it was fake. I thought it was fake news. No, I definitely doubted. <laughs> I doubted everything. It didn't make sense. And y'all, they're not talking about me. It, it was too good to believe. I mean, I think when you texted me, you said... A woman named Reality Winner? Reality Winner. Reality, a woman named Reality Winner entered the news cycle this week because she leaked classified information. About a reality <laughs> star. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. You, I mean, you can't write a script like this, folks. It makes so no sense. On a, a bit of background, Reality Winner is an NSA contractor, a former Navy officer who is working for a private Crossfitter, company. Crossfitter. Crossfitter. Vegan. We looked into it. Bernie Sanders supporter. Sorry, she definitely talks about all of her fitness routines. Quick tangent on that. All of her information, this makes me sound really stalkerish, but all of her information is so unbelievably public. Give us the benefit of the doubt. We had to Facebook her, okay? It took and, two minutes. And because you know there's only one reality winner out there in the world, besides whoever won Survivor this past First of all, season, anyone that has ever on. used Tinder, J-Date, Muslim matrimonial or farmers only what? has definitely hit up the the Facebook stalking of someone that they have matched with. If you're listening and you're judging us for Facebook stalking reality winner, you need to be honest with yourself. Yes, you and have all Facebook stalked. Every you're Facebook stalking us right now. Probably. And if you look her up, so on Facebook she's Instagram. It's a lot of pictures of. of her working out, her CrossFit, eating entirely vegan, too healthy food, meal prep, and we in would fact, not get along. In fact, she's represented by a fellow uh, Georgia law grad in Augusta, <sighs> and she had a federal court hearing today. You didn't hear about it because obviously James Comey. But anyways, the one thing that her attorney said um, when he when she when she spoke with him in prison was that she really missed uh, good food, aka vegan food. And so, Robert, I don't know if you can tell, but is clearly not a fan of, of the vegan foods here. Well, I mean, I think listen, I don't I don't even I don't even blame Reality Winner because she lived in Augusta, Georgia. Her name's Reality. And her name's Reality Winner. And you've got some experience with living in Augusta, Georgia, don't I, you, Robert? I have lived in Augusta, Georgia. Not to disclose too much personal information on possibility. Also, Robert did not leak NSA I did documents. not leak NSA that is, documents. That is, all, that is where all links between Robert Daniel and Reality, and Reality Winner, Winner stop. stop. <laughs> but I will say, if you're a vegan and you live in Augusta, Georgia, you probably have not many friends. If Good you're luck. a Bernie Sanders supporter and you live in Augusta, Georgia, you're probably a party of one. But you know, reality situation, reality situation uh, <laughs> does hint to the bigger issue, which is that leaking has become... A huge deal. So common. And it seems like maybe that may, and maybe it may have, but it may not have happened 
had a certain candidate for the Republican Party and then the presidency not demonized the intelligence community and basically called them morons. I mean, certainly that didn't help. I think Donald Trump is is a figure that lots of people hate, and I think the prosecution in in, uh, Reality Winners hearing today said that she had made threats to burn down the White House, which to me sounds like a bad Instagram post or Facebook post. Not to make light of the situation. Obviously, that's a threat. It should be investigated and taken seriously, but... Well, I have plaintiffs that I'm up against where, you know, you go look up their social media stuff and they're saying crap that's even crazier than that. Exactly. And, and we don't take it seriously. Well, the, the other part of that, though, is that it seems like right now she's the big leaker. Like, she is a face to the entire issue of leaking with uh, regard to the government. So they're just going to make her she's an example. The new, and the she's new a, Edward Snowden. And Well, no, she's better than that. She's a perfect example. Why? Because Edward Snowden was weird. But he, you know, he well, had... Well, Reality Winner's a vegan. I mean... Well, Reality Winner is an easy target. We have lost any vegan listeners. Uh, we apologize. <laughs> it, they're gone. I know. I, think I we don't. Have, I think we have at least one vegan listener to the pod. One person. Uh, come back, please. Um, we'll share a bowl of black beans or something. Oh, but I have chicken. Man, that's sad. Anyways, Reality Winner is a perfect person um, for the Donald Trump administration to prosecute. They would have prosecuted anyone who leaked this information. I want to be clear on that. But she... Um, is enough other that they'll be able to demonize her and make her an example for future leakers who may be emboldened by an administration that criticizes the intelligence community. And as as uh, a point here, you should not leak information. If you have Agreed. classified information, do not leak it because you got that classified information by saying you would not do something like leaking it. However, you should one, you should face the consequences of that, but you shouldn't face consequences that stem from political issues exactly there are legal consequences that you should face period but there'll be other hosts of of consequences that she'll have to face for doing this that maybe might not make as much sense for her to have to face so with that bit of a lecture from us (laughs) i think that this concludes uh, today's we've hit it all this is a world tour james comey qatar saudi arabia iran england and then we brought you back to reality and then we brought you back to reality We'll see you next week on Pod Civility. Goodbye.